Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. It's Wall Builders, and we're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Appreciate you joining us today. We encourage you to not just listen today, but to take action, get involved, be a part of the solution, so much that you can be a part of. And and our goal today on a Good News Friday is to essentially encourage you, let you hear these great victories that are happening, and, uh, and look for ways that you can be a part of a good news story by being involved in your family, your community, your state, and of course, our nation. So that means go to wallbuilders.com today, get some of those materials. Uh, maybe at that website, donate today. You can do that at wallbuilderslive.com or at wallbuilders.com. But those donations help us to get the truth out there and equip more people to create more good news stories. Or it might be that you just get some of the materials and you invite friends and family over to go through those things and help to solve the civic and biblical ignorance problem that is producing the bad government problems that we have in our nation. Whatever the direction is that you want to go, we just encourage you to take action as we enjoy this good news today. Time to dive in, folks. Buckle up. We're going to get as much good news in as we can. David, get us started, brother. Well, I'm going to go with some survey results. Looking at the church in America overall is some good news. It's going to start with some questions for you guys, however. So we've got dozens and dozens of denominations in America, and there are what are called the mainstream denominations the mainstream in polling, usually that's seven different denominations. Do you know which they are? Baptists. Mainstream. Now, Baptist considered evangelical. Even Southern Baptist is not a mainstream denomination. Okay, so then uh, Episcopalians. Episcopalian, yes. Okay, Methodist. Anglicans, Methodists. Anglicans, Methodists. Anglicans be considered Episcopalians. There's technically a difference, but they group them together. Okay, so does that mean the Catholics are a part of this? Catholics are not. It's They consider it Protestant it's denominations. Protestant. Catholics not considered mm. so pro- I'm, I'm just saying, like Episcopalian, Anglican, yep. Catholic, it's, it's real similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Episcopalian and Anglican are one on this list. Presbyterian? Yep, right. Presbyterian is. Uh, Presbyterian Church USA or PC USA. Okay, I'm running out because of, of the distinction. I can name more denominations. <laughs> right. There's several. There's several um, Presbyterian denominations. There's there's PCUSA, PCA. There's the the Wisconsin. There's you know all all those different groups. So there, but the PCUSA Presbyterian Church. Here here they are. Here they come. So the Meth- United Methodist Church, which is splitting, but United Methodist, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the American Baptist churches, the Presbyterian Church, the Episcopal Church. The United Church of Christ and the Christian Church slash Disciples of Christ. So those are the seven mainstream denominations in America. Now, when you look at those seven mainstream denominations, which would you choose as being the most liberal among the clergy? We're talking only the pastors of these churches. Who are the most liberal? Which denomination has the most liberal pastors? It's got to be one of the Uniteds. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, true, Uni- so true. United Church of Christ. of their pastors self-identify as liberal. Behind that is Presbyterian Church USA, 70% identify as liberal. Episcopal Church, 69% identify as liberal, the the clergy. Then the um, Evangelical Lutheran Church America, 68% liberal. Disciples of Christ, 62% liberal. Now, if you get down into under 50%, the United Methodist Church, 44% liberal, and the American Baptist Church, Church USA, 26% liberal. So those are the two least liberal of the seven mainstream. Now, I guess the good news is it doesn't appear the pastors are having much impact on their congregation. 
So is that because not very many people attend those churches? Oh no, plenty of people. But even if they attended, you would still expect them to reflect whoever's there. So this is not by numbers; it's by percentages. So what happens is now that that's liberals. Now when you go to Democrat, etc., among all those seven denominations put together, forty-nine percent of those denomination clergy call themselves Democrats. So that's counting the two more conservative, the five more liberal, but all that clergy out of the seven groups, 49% call themselves Democrats. Only 30% of parishioners call themselves Democrats. So they're not having much of an evangelistic effect even on their own congregation. Uh, 28% of that clergy call themselves independent, but 26% of their congregations are independent. And only 14% of those clergy call themselves Republican, and yet 34% of the congregation calls themselves Republican. So it's good that, and we talk about how bad the church condition is at times, but it looks like the parishioners, at least on the liberal side, are not going with their liberal ministers. And so, yeah, I mean, it was it was really pretty amazing to see the the difference between the, the the congregation and the churches. So I think it's really healthy, and that's good news overall that people are tending to be more conservative. Than the liberal leaders. Hopefully that'll follow in politics and Democrats as well. Well, and certainly I think there is a positive component to that. Uh, I, I, I would have a hard time thinking sitting under those kind of leaders that you're getting a biblical message. And therefore, even though you might not have the same reflected values when it comes to politics, you're probably not getting any kind of solid biblical teaching when it comes to a biblical worldview perspective. And so I'd certainly... Uh, would like to think that for many of those people, they ought to be going, you know what, maybe we need to find a different church. Maybe we need to find a different pastor, a different leader. Uh, and this is not an attack specifically at a political party, but identifying right now, what are the values of the Democrat Party? And and they are not pro-life. They are not pro-marriage. They are not pro-Israel. Things that, some some pretty basic things in the Bible and if you are the senior pastor and you are against basic teachings of the Bible, then if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you need to be challenging that leader based on what the Bible says or finding a place that teaches more of what the Bible says. And I agree, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, with the United Church of Christ, they are so anti-Jesus as, as a Christian denomination. They're so anti-Jesus. I don't know that it's possible to actually find Christ in a biblical way except by yourself in most of those churches. Well, and to that point, I mean, we do know some people that have said and they didn't hear about Jesus till they left some of those denominations. Right. And with that being said, right, understanding that as we're talking about this, this is a, this is a generalization to much right. extent. Right. Because we know there are churches that are breaking away from these denominations right. because of the unbiblical nature of what that some of these denominations have taken, which is additional good news. So I, I think overarching, there's definitely good news in that the values of some of these leaders is not necessarily being fully embraced by the congregation. <laughs> However, it'd be better news for many of those congregants to say, hey, we're going to find a new pastor or find a new church, because yeah. uh, certainly they're not getting good biblical teaching in that place. That's right. Yeah, I, I think it's great news because I always have thought when I watch these uh, news clips or read a story of one of these, like you're saying, Tim, United, whatever uh, churches, and they have some lesbian pastor, you know, up there marrying two other lesbians or whatever. I I've always thought, okay, if you're, if you're allowing that to happen in your church, you must be a liberal. Like you must be a left winger if you're staying in a church like that. So to hear that even in those very liberal churches, um, that they are not a majority liberal um, and that there's still a decent chunk of 
of conservatives in there. I, I agree with you, Tim. Like, what are you doing sitting in that pew? Get out of there and get to a, a decent church. But I had just written the whole congregation. I just assumed the whole congregation was left wingers, or they wouldn't put up with that stuff. So that that actually is a great a great uh, a great news story, Dave, because it tells you there's hope <laughs> to win over that that part of the congregation at least out of those liberal churches and get them awake. It also goes against the progressive thing that you can't necessarily divide people into groups. They don't always fit neatly into groups like progressives would have you think. So what you've got here is even though these are groups of denominations, there's a lot of good people in there still, and that's that's good. Well, and I think it goes back to uh, also when, when we talk about what does the Bible do, that, that over overarching theme in the Bible, Jesus uh, clearly was, was not into categorizing people in groups and categories per se. Uh, we know the Apostle Paul wrote that in Christ there is uh, no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Scythian, no bond, slave, free, right? We're all one in Christ. And, and Jesus, the the only example he really gave is there was two groups. It was the sheep and the goats. It, it was those that, that knew and did the will of the Father versus those that did not know or do the will of the Father and so the, I think as a Christian, the only two accurate categories are those that, that know and follow God and those that don't know or don't follow God. Uh, and, and so if we talk about groups, certainly as Christians, we would say, hey, you're not supposed to put people in groups, except the one group that is acceptable according to scripture <laughs> is, do you know God or do you not know God? Because if you don't know God, we want to tell you about Jesus, right? That we have, we have a friend, you should meet him. Uh, he's a great guy. We want you to know him. Uh, and so definitely as, as a Christian, when we look at groups, the only the only filter we should see is do these people know God or they do they need to know God so that can help us in our motivation of how we engage in conversation. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Tim, good piece of all right, piece of good news from you before we go to break. All right. Well, I, I have a huge stack in front of me. I, I just uh, pulled a couple off the top. This one says, not on my watch. Iowa governor says no to new COVID mandates. And Iowa governor Kim Reynolds uh, has, has really become a rock star in many regards when it comes to some very basic uh, biblical constitutional issues. Uh, they've been in, in Iowa, they've been a champion uh, for, for the pro-life movement. Um, when Roe versus Wade was overturned with the Dobbs decision, it went back to the states. Iowa is one of many states that took some pretty bold stance, some bold action to protect unborn in their state. Uh, and Governor Reynolds has been very strong on that. Well, they also were one of the states back in 2020 uh, that followed uh, kind of the, the lead. We know there was some vocal leadership from, for example, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida. It, certainly, uh, Governor Nome in South Dakota took some heat uh, at times, and she stood up uh, and, and at times trying to protect freedom in different places. There were a couple governors that got some notoriety for that. Well, Governor Reynolds didn't get as much notoriety but she certainly was very strong in many respects in certain issues. And so now there is allegedly a new wave of COVID that is hitting the nation. And so that's why you need to get your 85th booster or whatever number we're on now. Uh, and not, not, not to get sidetracked um, with that conversation too much. However, she says that in, in Iowa, there will be no mandate. And in fact, one of the individuals uh, that oversees some of the health concerns, the Public Health Association Executive Director, Lena Tucker. Uh, it looks like it looks like reindeer, and I'm sure it's not how her last name is pronounced. Uh, Reinders, I don't know. I, I messed that name up. Somebody from Iowa, you can help me out. Let me know how to pronounce that name. Um, but she says it doesn't mean that there might not be some local area in the state 
where some local entity might put up some kind of restriction, but she identified there, there is no state restriction that's coming out. And so for the Biden administration to be playing up how dangerous this new strain of COVID is, and you have to get your new boosters, and maybe we might have to go back to masking, and there might be new mandates, and, and even as the Biden administration is suggesting that maybe we should turn over uh, the, the, the health decisions of America to uh, the, the WHO or whatever kind of circumstance situation that might look like, when you have governors standing up and saying, yeah, we're not playing that game anymore, this is really good and really healthy when you now have more assertion of the 10th Amendment by these governors, more of the states' rights saying, look, federal government, you don't have the right, you don't have the authority to come in here and shut us down, to lock us down, to put these new mandates. We're not doing that anymore. And so that's just one more piece of really good news coming from Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa. Uh, so many good things that she has done over the last couple of years. This is just one more example when she says they will not do any of these lockdowns probably ever again uh, to get the indication from her. Uh, but anyway, not for this this new variant. And that is good news. Yeah, great news, it's especially as so many other people were considering uh, and even pushing now towards there's some schools. There's even a school here in Texas already going back to, to, to mandates and um, so, yeah, really, really good news. And, and and she was one of the better ones, let's say. She was uh, maybe not quite as good as uh, as DeSantis, but got, got uh, you know, j- jumped back in the right column very quickly and has been fantastic ever since, very much like a DeSantis. So, um, so Iowans are very blessed to have her as governor. Tell you what, let's take a break. We'll be right back. We've got more good news. David Barton up next with the next piece of good news. Stay with us. You're listening to Wall Builder. Hi friends, this is Tim Barton of Wall Builders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even Hebrews of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, it has the Faith Hall of Fame where they outline the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. And this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman. Friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wobblers. Thanks for staying with us. It's Good News Friday, and David was up next. Well, this one, this is an inter- I guess both of my stories so far have been kind of twisted good news in, in a way. And, and so you might have misunderstood what this David's about. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say well, twisted good news. We're going to have a, gonna be a new mean, new program on Wobblers. Yes. It, it, I, I, well, I'll just read. I'll read the 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 headline here. It says after three years, student payments are back. Student loan payments officially resume Sunday after borrowers were let off the hook for more than three years by a pause initiated by Biden. So Biden, no, I'm not going to make you pay your student loan. And it's interesting. I, I just I'm, I'm looking at the way that students, some students and the left has responded to this. Um, the the founder of the Student Debt Crisis Center said it's a sad day for student loan borrowers and for the country that student loans have to come back on. It's a sad day when you have to repay your loan. 
<laughs> man it's i'm always sad when i have to keep my word every yeah, time <laughs> every time i have to do what i said i was gonna do it makes me so sad they should have known so, i was lying and i wasn't gonna <laughs> i was never wow. gonna repay that loan come on yeah. guys uh, so the Biden administration has let 28 million borrowers off the hook with repayments so far he's lost every court case there have been a number of court cases at the supreme court included He's lost every single case, so now he's forced to come back on and and, and collect the money and et cetera. Now, I don't know. Is this going to illustrate how bad education is? Because (laughs) some of the students who are now having to repay their debt are going on a student debt strike. No. Oh, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Now, can I go on a house mortgage strike? No, make it the car strike. I no, mean, a te- wow. card strike. Te- technically, you can go on strike. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna lose. <laughs> There's all. just certain consequences to not paying well, your mortgage. See, that, that's my point. Because if I go on a house strike, I'm gonna lose my house. If I go on a car strike, I lose my car. They can't lose their education because they apparently didn't get one. So if they go on a student debt strike, I'm not sure that they've lost anything. Yeah, I, I think at this point, what what they're missing is they should be demanding a refund exactly for their lack of education. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? There you not, go. That Not to cancel exactly. the loan, my university should have to right repay what I paid because clearly they did not get the education they should have gotten. And it says that of students who have debt, that more than half say, well, I can't afford to make any payments. And 22% say, I never had a plan to make payments. So how are we even teaching basic economics if that's your approach to, to getting a loan and you haven't thought about it, or you have no plans to pay it off. Well, and I think there's a balance with this a little bit, too, right? Because for some of those people, 20 percent said we never intended to pay it. Right. Because Joe Biden literally ran saying that we're going to make college free. That was part of the Democrat Party initiative. Part of their slogan, part of what Biden encouraged was that college is going to be free. And so if in the last two or three years you've been going to college, yeah, it, I, I totally understand why someone might have thought, hey, this is going to be free because this is what they told me. But it, it, it's a reflection that in our education system, what we have done is we've we have created a system that has made people incredibly gullible, where they're going to believe what they're told. They're going to do what they're told, depending on who it is telling them and, and ultimately who those leaders are. So if it's right their their teachers, if it's a Democrat Party and, and what they're learning from those teachers and from the Democrat Party is that you don't trust Republicans. And if they say something, they're liars and, and you need to shout them down, you need to cancel them. This is the environment they've grown up in. So on some level, I can have some level of of maybe uh, empathetic understanding that if this is what you've heard, like I get where you're coming from and I understand why you'd be frustrated if you've been lied to and you believed the lie, but you you should not blame the system because the system didn't make you sign an agreement didn't make you sign a contract, didn't make you go to school there. So you ought to be mad at the Democrat Party, mad at the Democrat leadership, mad at Joe Biden for what he did instead of whatever solution of going on strike, whatever that's going to look like. All that to say is I really do understand why it could be a challenge for young people who haven't been taught genuinely in educational systems and structures to be critical thinkers, to be problem solvers. They, they haven't learned some of these reasoning skills and then they're told if, if you want to do something with your life, you need to continue on your education. And for many people, they got a college degree and then got out and they couldn't find a job in whatever degree field they had. And maybe right, maybe because of their lack of ability performance with their degree, maybe because it was in a field that was so narrow, there weren't those opportunities. Again, I understand that there could be some frustration here, but 
the reality is it should not be the responsibility of the rest of us who are hardworking Americans, who are individuals who have jobs, who pay taxes, to then bear the tax burden for a really terrible education and for a loan that we did not take out. Therefore, we should not have to pay it back. So it is good news. This has failed everywhere it's gone. It is a little sad how upset some of these students are. But I understand, again, because they've been lied to, I totally get why they might be frustrated. But at some point, people need to wake up and realize that these politicians have been lying to them. And maybe that means you need to stop supporting that side of that political party because they are just using you for their advantage and it's not benefiting you. That is so accurate, so correct, so common sense. And speaking of common sense, uh, we appear to have another lack of common sense. I'm looking at a headline that has just come across where Biden is announcing he is reinstituting the debt cancellation program. So even after the courts tell him he has to, even after his administration announces is going back online, he just popped back in and said, no, we're, we're going to cancel debts again. It'll be another lawsuit. It'll keep going. Now, it, do you think maybe with a re-election bid coming up I, that's that maybe exactly, there's, that's exactly maybe there's new promises that are being made? Right. Because, I mean, I, I think it was the middle of the week that, that we saw this announcement. I think it was on Wednesday this uh, they they made this announcement. But, right, I, I mean, ultimately, when, when you have an education system that's taught people to be gullible, it's taught people to just, uh, you know, repeat what they're told, to do what, what they're told to do, repeat what's been said to them. Uh, and then you're going to tell them, hey, guys, you know, it's it's these evil Republicans that have stopped us from being able to do this, but we're going to do it this time. Keep voting for us. It, it very much is similar to me of things that like what LBJ said, what what, what FDR did with the, the New Deal, expanding the welfare state, what uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson with his war on poverty, where he said, we're right, we're, we are going to get certain people in the population to vote for us for the rest of their life. They won't even know why. And they will always now vote for our party. This is what Biden ultimately is trying to do is, is, is buy votes. The reason that you are offering all these illegal, illegal immigrants coming across the southern border uh, different kinds of identification and licenses is because if you vote, you have to have some kind of license or identification. Well, why are you giving those to illegal citizens who haven't even gone to their court date, right, who, who haven't even found out if they can remain in the country? Why are you given the opportunity for them to commit fraud in, in voting illegally, why would you do this? Well, this is part of, unfortunately, what Democrats have done in trying to buy votes. So, Dad, to that point, right, more lies coming out. The good news is this is not one in any court case whatsoever. And every single judge that's looked at this said, yeah, you don't have the authority. You, you, you can't do this. So the fact he's trying it yet again certainly seems only politically motivated, not like he's trying to help college students as much as he's trying to secure more votes for a coming election. All right, we got time for one more piece of good news, Tim. What are we closing out with today? Well, this one is a study that came out from Heritage, and this is, I, I don't know, it's 10 or 12 pages, 14 pages uh, of this article that I have in my hand, and it, it says 2023, the year of education freedom. And it goes through and identifies so many states that have taken steps for, for parental choice and education, uh, including states like Arkansas, which have made some major strides in that. Uh, it goes through Florida and Iowa. And in this article, it, it really does it, it break down. It goes into great detail, as I mentioned, when it's 10, 12, 14 pages. Um, there is so much information on these states, on what they've done in Indiana, uh, going through some of what they've done in Montana. And one of the things that we are seeing is how much states are recognizing the, the benefit of what choice does, because competition in the marketplace always helps improve uh, what those products are when when you don't have a monopoly, 
uh, then right under a monopoly, you can't control the quality, you can't control the price. But when there is competition, it impacts the the quality of the goods and service. It impacts uh, the value, what what we're paying for that. And for so many states, they recognize there's a lot of failing schools, specifically in a lot of the larger cities. That there's a lot of lower level schools as far as the, the the ranking system of schools of how they perform, of how their students perform on academic testing. And there's a lot of schools that perform very poorly. And and unfortunately, parents get stuck in those schools. And for many parents, that they are in a situation where financially they can't afford to have a different option. And so some of these schools have now been given opportunities or students in those schools have been given opportunities through so much progress made on this educational freedom front. So this this is from heritage.org. It's 2023 colon the year of education freedom. If, if people want to look this up and see, I, I don't have time to go through how much incredible thing has been going on. But this is something we are seeing more and more states recognizing the value of competition, the value of alternate education, giving students a way out in some of these failing school districts. And this is a very beneficial thing. Uh, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of homeschool families. There's a lot of conservatives that oppose school choice because they think it, it's going to put more and more strings on these finances. And, and, and therefore, the government's going to control all these different schools and, and the government's going to be able to put the same nonsense from public education into these Christian and private schools or even homeschool families. But the reality is, Dad, how many states? Is it 30, 32 states? 30, 32 states have school choice. All 32 states, there's been dozens of studies. 93% of the studies show that where you have school choice, scores go up, costs go down. So the taxpayers, and it's all choice. If you don't want it, don't take it. But at least save me some of my own money that I'm paying. At least give me some smarter kids in the state, even if they're not in my family. So, so to, to your point, right, for many families that are concerned about this, if you're concerned about there being government strings attached to these dollars, well, then you don't have to take the dollars. But for some of these families that their kids are in an inner city school and they have no other option, for then homeschool conservative families say, well, we can't support this because we don't want more government strings. I don't know. Understand, you don't have to take this. But if it's an opportunity for someone who's stuck in a failing school to have another option and chance, we ought to be concerned enough about the kids in these failing schools to give them a chance. And competition in the marketplace is always great. Again, this is Heritage Steady. It's totally worth reading, but a lot of good progress made in 2023 on the educational freedom standpoint. Yeah, that that issue is it's, it's kind of like um, you know a few years back we had pro life uh, victory after pro life victory after pro life victory. We're getting more and more school choice victories. Uh, so hopefully that snowball effect will will continue. Thanks for listening today, folks. We'll have more good news for you next week. You've been listening to Wall Bowler. We stand undivided.